Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Uh, as we, You've already experienced today's a very special day here at Calvary, and we continue that with uh, opening God's Word, and, and you'll also see how that what we saw today really uh, fits really really well with the scripture we'll be looking at. We've been talking the last several weeks uh, from Romans chapter 6 and through chapter 8. We're talking about being made new and this whole butterfly picture, the idea of the metamorphosis of caterpillar to butterfly and how, how things change and there truly is a new life involved. So that's what we're, the, kind of the premise of these, the, how we're looking at these three chapters of the book of Romans. And, and I focus our attention again on chapter 6 and verse starting verse 3 where Paul writes, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that's the, that's the point that we think Paul is talking about in these chapters is the fact that he has explained that the issue that we have and that we're without life, without Christ, but God has given us life, but it's not just, it's not just a, a life or it's not just something that happens after death. This is a new life that begins at the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior. For those baptisms that you've seen this morning, what a beautiful representation of exactly what Paul just said here. It's that picture of, yes, I have eternal life, and now this, this a picture of the resurrection, the eternal life that has begun, just as Christ was raised from the dead, now if because I'm a follower of his, I too have been raised from spiritual death in life, but that life is for now. It starts at the moment that I, have, I begin this journey with him. So we're, we're looking at how Paul describes this new life that comes to, to those who are his followers. So a couple of questions that we'll hopefully answer throughout this day. One is th- that I would encourage you to ask is, do I have eternal life? Has there been a point in my life when I recognized my need and I received the gift of eternal life, a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? If so, am I experiencing the new life that Paul talks about, that Jesus uh, promised when he said, I came to give them life and that life to the full? Am I experiencing that particular life? So this morning, if you have your Bibles, Romans, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7 again. Before we do, there's a phrase that I have a feeling you have heard before, and I'm going to give you some examples, but it's just simply the phrase in our English says, it's the law. Have you, anybody heard that? Somebody say that? Let me give you some examples of what you might see. Uh, it's the law, right? Everything from buckle up, it's the law. No texting while driving, it's the law. Clean up after your dog, right? It's the law. I don't think that's a law in Taylorville yet. It should be, but it's not yet, okay? It's, it might be rude, but it's not yet a law. But anyway, that, that is actually, those are things we know of as it's the law. So when we come to the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, we have this idea or this word or the word law, specifically here in Romans chapter number 7. And we started here last week, and, and this word law is obviously the theme of Romans 7 for in those 25 verses, it's used 23 different times. So he's using this word law to help. But if we know it's in this journey of coming to new life, 
then somehow this word law has some, something we need to learn, something significant. It's, it's more than, you know, the law of, you know, what you do in traffic or cleaning up after your pet. These are, the, this law that he's talking about, by simple definition, the people that were listening to him would have understood him probably talking about the first five books of the Bible, the, the law, the Torah. Uh, the, the idea that this was, the, and specifically the, the idea of the Ten Commandments that's listed in those first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But there was some great confusion, misunderstanding about how the law impacted followers of Christ. And so Paul's going to use not only Galatians, but here in Romans to help us understand that. So we go to verse number four, and here's what Paul says of Romans 7. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. That's interesting. He's going to talk about the law, but one of the first things he says is, you have died to that law. Now, people then, and I think uh, people today, Paul anticipated them asking a question then. So you go to verse 7, he says, so what shall we say then? If we're dead to the law, is the law sinful? Is the law bad? People today, Christians, sometimes the way that we, we speak of the law, it's as if it's something to, to be shunned, something to not speak about. Here was Paul's answer to Bible-believing Christians. Certainly not. God forbid. You're crazy not to, to get a grasp on and understand what the law is all about. That, that's his, his idea. Adamantly, he says this. So that leads me to a question and becomes our theme for today. So what difference does the law make in our lives? What, what importance, what significance does a law play, especially today, especially those of us followers of Christ who would have been in the same, the same category that Paul is te- speaking of, but what difference does that make? What's the relevance for us? Last week we talked about one thing. There's, there's a sp- specific thing Paul mentions the law cannot do. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20, Paul said this, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Doing the law is not going to get you to heaven. Doing the law doesn't earn you favor with God. That's not going to make you right. Doing the law, keeping the law, doing all the right things, obeying all the rules, being religious, none of that is going to make you right with God. And then that last phrase, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law is not a mode, it's not a means to salvation, but it does have a purpose. And he said, and he, he kind of opens it up, that so what does the law do? It, he says it shows us how really sinful, what difference does it make? And this is what Paul's going to explain in Romans chapter 7. So i got two major things we're going to talk about and, and as we walk through these. The first is this, the law helps us to recognize a universal problem. What difference does the law make? I want to have new life. But then he talks, he jumps in the middle about the law. So what does that, the first thing we understand about the law is it helps us to recognize a universal problem. Here's what Paul has made very clear already in Romans. He'll reiterate it again, and I want to make sure you get it. There is a disease that plagues the entirety of the human race. And we're talking greater disease than any that we've ever faced, any of the plagues, any of the, the diseases and cancers we know today, bigger than all that. Because, and here's why. Because the saturation rate of this disease is everyone, and the mortality rate from this disease is 100%. I mean, this disease leaves no, uh, no escapees. It takes no hostage. This is something that truly is devastating and the Bible word for this disease is the word sin. 
Paul's already made that clear. Romans 3, 23. He says, all have sinned. Up earlier in that same chapter, he says, no one is righteous, not even one. I don't care. You can say what you want, and you say, that's such a nice person, a good neighbor, but, but we're born with this issue. Every one of us is, struggles with this issue and has this disease upon us. None of us is righteous according to God's standard. In fact, he goes on later to say, and death came upon all because all have sinned. Sin is a universal disease. It has a, it has a universal consequence, and that is death. All, death comes to all because all have sinned. But let's talk about this sin a little bit. The Bible gives us some ideas. The, the, the first sin was committed approximately 2,500 years or so before there was ever a written law against that sin. Before we, ever knew, before we ever saw thou shalt not, sin already existed. Sin was the, from the first pair of humans, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had this, this opportunity, they had this choice, and they chose to disobey God. And from their sin, sin became a part of the DNA of the human race. And every member of the human race from that point on. So sin was present. And so from that first sin... We see through the opening pages of the Bible that sin was real. I mean, within the first three chapters, we have not only their sin, but we have Cain murdering his brother Abel. You go over a few chapters, and God says he saw the wickedness of man. He created an ark, and he, he, then he sent the flood because of, of the wickedness of man. So that's just in the first six to eight chapters of Genesis. And you keep moving on to the book of Genesis, and you've got extortion, and you've got lying, and you've got murder, and you've got Sodom and Gomorrah, and you've got all of these things. And you, you've just got one thing after another. Sin is present, but we don't even, we don't even see the law in its form until the book of Exodus. A, a clear 2,500 years or so later is when God formalized the, in the people's heart that this is, this is wrong, that there are certain things that are wrong. It's rebellion against your creator. It's about this is, this is when the law came. So here's what you got to understand. The law did not create the disease of sin, and the law cannot cure the disease of sin. We already know that. Sin was present before the law came, so it didn't create it. Sin was already there. It already had its consequences. We already know Paul says sin can't, or the law can't cure the disease of sin. So what was the law for? It was to reveal, to expose sin in the human, in, in the human race to us. It's, it's as if you go to the doctor. Maybe you have health concerns, maybe you're set and you go through tests, right? And he takes you this test and that test and he puts you x-rays and MRIs and whatever and he comes out and he says, here is your problem. Now, here's the thing. Those tests didn't create the problem and those tests will not cure the problem. Those tests simply revealed the problem. That is the idea of the law. The law, the sin was already present, but when God came, brought the, the law into, he just simply showed, and these things are sinful. This is rebellion against a holy God. So that's when Paul asks this important question, verse number seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Now this is how he says it. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Sin had been a part of Paul's life. 
he's going to admit that, that he wasn't perfect. But until he actually got a picture and the law came real in his life and the light shone that, that there was an objective, reliable source that was saying, Paul, that is a sin. Until that came alive in him, he, he, did, he said, without that law, I would have never known the sinfulness of, of, what, of what I was doing. So he points, and look at this verse, he points to one sin in particular. He said, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, here's what Paul's clear. He said the law did not save him. He's going to make that very clear. But by his own admission, he says, but I, I was saved because of a, of a tenth commandment. The tenth commandment is what got my attention and led me to the point of, of my salvation. I, I can owe, owe my salvation to that tenth commandment. That's the one some of us forget about, right? Because we know the big five, murder, stealing, adultery, you know, honor mom and dad, those guys, the big, the big ones. But a lot of times, what's that 10? I had a 10. I had a covet, right? That doesn't seem like a, it, it, after all the big five in the middle there, it's almost like, ah, uh, that's kind of an anticlimactic sin, right? It's just coveting. It's not, a, why, would, why would this sin be the one that Paul said got his attention, that brought him, brought him to the place? Well, let's, let's understand this. The word covet. By definition, the word he's using is the word desire, lust, something you long for. Specifically, we know from, from the Old Testament, here's how the, the, uh, big, the big Ten, the Ten Commandments reads. In Exodus chapter number 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's, it's desire for something that's not yours, so desire, so, but it's this, it's this lust, it's this longing. Why was this the one that caught Paul's attention? Why is this the one? Well, let, let me give you some ideas. Number one, all the other nine commandments pretty much are something external that can be visible. I mean, at some point, you commit committing adultery, murder, stealing. At some point, those are all visible external sins. Coveting is something that... You could hide at least for a long, long time because it's an inward sin. Paul says all these other things, he, he pretty much got checked them off the list, and I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that. But when God shown the law in his heart, he realized there was something in there that, that was against God. It, went, it got literally to the heart of sin. Lust, this word covet, I don't think he was just, I think Paul perhaps had some reasons for this word, but maybe just to show us that what God's law does is it gets to the heart of what sin is all about. Sin, according to the Bible description, actually starts. Everything that, this involuntary move, this desire away from God, this, that, all of that can be defined in this word covet. It's a desire to want what I want. It's a desire, Paul just stops with covet. He didn't mention the neighbor and all that, but it's just any desire, any voluntary will to do something opposed to what God, I covet something other than, is what Paul, and that gets to the heart of our issue. Here's how James described it. James chapter 1, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. That's the same word as covet. They are brought away by their evil coveting and enticed. Then after coveting has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Every one of our sins, according to this verse, starts with a desire. Starts with a covet. Starts with I don't have and I want and I maybe shouldn't have, but I have this desire that stirs up in me. And this desire, I, don't, I don't know what Paul 
specifically. Maybe he used the word covet because he had his own struggle, some kind of inward longing and lusting. Maybe that was it. Maybe that, or, and something that he, maybe it was under control, some, but he just kind of a struggle. That, that's a possibility. Maybe it was a specific issue. Maybe a neighbor had a new car and he wanted one. I, I don't know the exact reason, but I do know the Bible is clear that this desire is where sin has its beginning. This lust, it all starts from this. Here's what we know. Paul was a moral, religious, I mean absolutely religious, upstanding, moral citizen. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But when the law shone in his heart, he realized something was wrong. When it got past all the externals and got past all the, well, I do that and I go there and I'm, I'm a good person, everybody would agree with that. When it got past all that and got to his heart, Paul said, I realized there was an issue. So how does God use his law to show us the, this idea of sin? Well, Paul tells us, I'll give you the first one. The first thought is this, the law of God reveals, first of all, the holiness of God. Go to verse number 12, look what Paul says. So then, the law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Okay, here's what the law does. It sets the standard. When you go to someone and, and, and you ask them, do you know you're going to heaven? And, and often I hear this phrase, well, I hope I'm good enough. Here's my question, how good is good enough? Who set the standard for you? Well, I hope I'm good enough, really. Okay, so is this, is this good enough? Is this, good, is this good enough? What is good enough? Whose standard are you going by? Here's what Paul says. There is a standard, and that standard is God's law, God's commandment. God sets the standard, and here's the words he uses. Look at the three words. It's holy. means it's completely separate, completely different than us. It's not going to be anything based on a whole. We compare. We say, well, I'm better than, and I hope I'm doing more than, and, well, you should see what they're doing. That's how we set a standard. God's is completely separate. There's this objective standard God has. It's holy. It's objective. It's separate. He also says it's righteous, which means it's absolutely right, absolutely just. There's not a, 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 any prejudice. There's never this kind of, oh, they get some, they don't. It's, it's absolutely right. Absolutely just. God himself is the righteousness of this law. It's based on his standard of absolute perfection. This is God is always right and it never changes. It's not relative to time. It's not relative to situation. It's separate. It's righteous. And he says it is good. Based upon the fact that God is good, God's law is absolutely good. God's law is good for us. It's our best interest in mind. It's based on his goodness. It's absolutely in perfection. All right, so here's the thing. Paul says God's law reveals something to us. It reveals God's standard, his holiness. If you want to judge yourself on this standard, go, go right ahead. Be my guest. But God says that's not going to be the standard that we use before standing before. Being right with me is based on God's standard. We don't have a line for that. Absolute perfection, absolute goodness. Absolute. The first thing the law does is to clarify, listen, there is a standard, and you do not, you cannot understand. It's absolute holiness and perfection. And the law says, this is what God says. This is what God's law is. It's absolute. So that's what it does first, is it just shows you how perfect God is. And then the second thing is that the law of God reveals the utter sinfulness of our sin. 
He says, here's God's standard, and then let me just make sure to clarify where you would stand in regards to that standard. Look at verse number 13. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, the law used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. He says, listen, here's what we do. The absolute holiness of God, that's the perfect standard. And then, here's, then he wants to show us, and here's what we do with sin. Here's the absolute holiness of God, but what we try to do is we rationalize, we blame, we defend. You know, here's one of the famous things about defending where we stand on sin. Well, you're, who are you to judge? No one should judge. So we defend ourselves all the time saying, there's God's standard, and God's just trying to say, and where do you meet? We blame other people. We defend, We try to rationalize. We try to make excuses. We try to hide. We, we make all kinds of reasons, and, and then we try to change the names. You know, it's not, it's not sin. It's just a mistake. It's just a flaw in my character. It's a, it's a moral failure. But God says it's sin. Here's where God's standard is. And he says, and I want you to understand where we stand as far as sin. is. He says it's utterly sinful. That word utterly is a pretty powerful word. It means exceedingly. It means beyond. It's something that's thrown beyond measure, beyond, beyond. It's, it's a word we get our English word hyperbole from. It's excessive. It's exaggerated. It's a point of you want to see, here's God's holiness, and then however good you think you are, he said, let me just make sure you understand. We are utterly sinful beings as humans. See, that's a hard one for some of us to grasp. And that's why the law is so important. Because some of us will say, listen, I, I'm not that bad of a person, especially in comparison. Of, and, and here's my standard, and I'm doing pretty good. And God says, wait, there's my standard, and truthfully, here's where you are. We are utterly sinful before a holy God. Here's what, here's what God, what Paul is telling us. Any sin that we have, whether we consider it a big sin, a little sin, it's rebellion against God. It's a slap in the face of a holy creator. It is utterly sinful. You can make all the excuses, all the rationalizations, all the, well, they had it coming, anything you want to do. But Paul was finally woken up to the fact that God is holy and I am definitely not. That's what the law does. It's revealing to us. But here's, here's the interesting part. Paul, I, I wanna, don't want to miss these verses. So then sin comes around. The devil, the enemy, comes around through sin, and he, and he uses the law in a whole different way. God is trying to expose our sin to get us real about who we are. But notice what the sin does. He actually personifies sin like it's a living being. Look what he says. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Here's what sin does. We're all sinful beings down inside. So here's what we do. Sin, the law comes, and rather than exposing it and saying, ooh, i got to get help, what it does is it actually produces more sin. It actually, within us, it be, this, the word opportunity, it's actually a military idea. It takes us to the camp and gets us ready to launch into sin. The law says, don't do it, and we say, who are you to tell me? Don't touch, really? Why shouldn't I touch? What if I just touch a little bit? Have, have your kids ever done that? I didn't, I just... 
touch, 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 right? We've all, we've all felt it whether we've done it or not because the law, what it does, when sin moves in, sin takes the law and it actually produces. We actually say, listen, I want to do something my way. Look at this. I, it, we, we look at other people and they seem to be having so much fun doing their own thing. And we say, well, God's just holding out on me. And that, the, the, the problem is we, we've, we've looked at sin and, this, and sin has taken the law and actually said, don't touch wet paint And our first response is, i got to try it. Sin produces more sin when it sees the law. Here's what else sin does with the law. It says, and he starts verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law. I want to stop right there. What is he talking about? Well, let me try to explain it. Best way I can read, as I'm reading this passage, here's what Paul, I think, is saying. There was a point in my life when I felt fine. I felt secure. I felt okay with who I was. I, I, was, I, was this, I didn't feel this weight of sin. I didn't feel any weight of judgment. There was nothing. My consciousness, everything was good. But something changed that. Something made a difference. Now, theologians are arguing, when did this happen, Paul? When was this a part of your life? Some say, well, it probably was before he was 13. Because at 13, at the Jewish bar mitzvah, he would have become, a, by law, a son of the law. So he would have known the law. It would have been more specific. So some say it was in his youth. And then it, when he finally saw the law, it came alive. I, my personal opinion, because later in Paul's life, he says this. Philippians 3, 5 Paul talking about his testimony, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day, the people of Israel from Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was a Pharisee, and as for zeal, persecuting the church, and for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless, I was blameless. Now this is later in Paul's life, and Paul still said, there was a point in me that I said, yeah, I've done everything, I'm good. I'm a, I'm a faultless, when you list the five, you list the basic commandments, yeah, I'm good. I probably the best in our culture. He really felt himself blameless. So let's go back to our verse, Romans 1, 9, 7, 9. I was once alive apart from the law. Something happened that opened Paul's eyes to the fact that I'm not okay. I'm a sinner before a holy God. I once was alive and everything was good and I'm, everything's coming up roses. And something happened that opened my mind to the fact that, that I, I've got an issue. Now, whether that was on the road, we know in Acts 9, he was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, and, he, and God shone a light, and from there on, we know his life changed. Maybe it was at that point that God revealed it, and it all came. I don't know at what point, but what I do know is something happened, and Paul finally understood that this sin is sin, and it's killing me. It, it woke him up to the fact that what sin was in his life. I, I can't help but think, because it happened in my own life, we talk about a doctor and a diagnosis. And you go to the doctor not expecting anything other than, yeah, you're fine. And they set you down and say, we saw something on your x-ray. We saw something that we need to test. And that something looks like serious sickness. All of a sudden, your world just goes south. You weren't expecting that. You went into the office. You're, I, I had plans to go get a hamburger. At McDonald's, I was excited. I just, I didn't get to eat. Let's go eat. And the doctor sits down and says, that's not good. Your world completely shatters when you recognize the seriousness of the disease inside. At one point, Paul's alive. He's having a great time. And when the law came real to him, everything changed. Suddenly now he realizes. So we go on at that verse, verse 7 or verse 9. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. 
I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. When I saw the law for what it was, suddenly sin came alive, and I realized I've been a sinner this whole time, and I just didn't get it. And now the diagnosis is in. I am a sinner. But here's what sin does. Sin takes that knowledge, and it wants to condemn us. It wants to, to threaten us. It wants to say, and you don't, deserve, you don't deserve to be alive. And it wants to condemn us to the point of where, that's what, that's what the enemy does. That's what the devil does. He, he says, oh, sin, you're missing something. Enjoy it. And as soon as you do it, he says, you're a miserable sinner. That's what sin did. Sin convicts, sin condemns. And then verse 11, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. The law takes sin and actually then deceives us through it. It says, you know, you, you, you can't keep the law, so you're in trouble, dude. Or why, why even try? Because you're never going to keep it. Or you're such a miserable person. There's no, and all of these things, there's no, why, why even try? We, we get angry because someone's judging us rather than say, listen, there's a, this is not a judgment. It's a, it's a diagnosis of a problem. And, and we, the, sin has deceived us into going. And so sin waves the law in front of us and says, you're ridiculous. You're a sinner. You don't deserve anything, and it wants to condemn us. It wants to bring the guilt and, the, and the, the absolute hopelessness that sin brings. So here's a quote that I want you to read, and you can fill it in on your outlines. God gave his law to convict us of our sin and bring us to the end of ourselves. And I, I want to stop before I finish the quote, because that's, that's the, the thing, what the law, there's some songs that we sing once in a while, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. What's the next phrase? That saved a wretch. Ooh, that's a, that's a little tough, don't you think? Got to find a nicer, a little more PC word, right? There's an old one, many of you may not even remember it. It's from a hymn book years ago. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? You know, a lot of the hymnals changed that, and they just took out the word worm and put sinner because they thought it was a little too harsh. Do you understand, when we talk about God's holiness and our sinfulness, worm's probably a nice word. Worm is exactly what we are because of our sin, but sin stops right there. The, that's as far as the law can go. Do you understand? All the law can do is say, you are a sinner, and here's proof. You're a sinner, and you've broken the commandments over and over again in all kinds of ways. Your heart, that's what the, and, and if we stop right there, sin wins. Because it's condemned us. It is, is, so we know God gave his law to convict us, bring us to the end of ourselves, but don't stop there so that we would run to Jesus for our salvation. The law, God gave it to us to convict us of our sin, but not so he could step on us and squash us and say, you're a worm and you're worth nothing. But he said, now that you understand it, change can happen. Something can begin to do, be different in your life, which leads us to our, our, our second thought today. The law helps us identify the only solution to our universal problem. The Bible's made it clear we all have an issue. It's a, sin, it's a disease of sin. That is, has separated us from a holy God. We're utterly sinful. He's completely holy. But he also says now that you know that, if you'll admit that, there is a 
solution to your problem. That's where Romans 6.14 says, For the sin shall no longer be your master, because why? You're not under the law, but you're under what? Grace. The good news is, yes, we're sinners, and if, we, if, if that light still hasn't come on, God's going to at some point wake you up to the fact that I'm a sinner before a holy God. And his, uh, the law just says, can, have you done the law completely? Well, sure. But, well, most, in most cases, I, the point is this. Absolute holiness versus our idle sinfulness, we stand guilty before God. But, he says, but there's a need and there's a way that you're not under that law anymore. But you can be under God's grace. I want to share with you a story kind of as we wrap this up. It's a story from Jesus' life and his ministry. A man similar to Paul had a a confrontation with Jesus, a conversation with Jesus. In fact, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, you'll see this man asked Jesus a question. A man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what, look at this, good thing must I do to get eternal life? That's a pretty good question, don't you think? People have asked that. What, what good thing? What could I, what's the one thing that I'm not doing I need to do to get to heaven? So it seems like a pretty simple question. So here's what Jesus did, does in answering the question. The next verses, here's how Jesus answers what he says. Jesus replied, okay, there is one, there's only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. That's an interesting answer. Look what the man says. Well, which one? He says, Jesus replied, and look at the list he gives. Don't murder, no adultery, don't steal, don't give fault, don't lie, honor mom and dad, love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at his answer. The man said, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Sounds a lot like Paul, doesn't it? Hey, I did, I'm doing good. Yes, check, 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 check. I'm not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying. Mom and dad are sitting nice and pretty. Everything's good. I am good. So is, what's the one thing I'm lacking? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Okay, now first of all, understand, Jesus is not giving us a new path to heaven. He's not saying, okay, you want to go to heaven? Well, you can do this or this, or, or you can give away everything, and that will get you into heaven. That's not his point. The law is doing exactly what it did in Paul's life. Paul said, yes, I did it. I'm this, this, this. But when I got to number 10 and it says you shall not covet, suddenly the light came on and I realized my heart is this. This man could do all the outside things, but it got to his heart. And it got to what you wouldn't call it whatever. He was greedy. He was selfish. He was covetous. Whatever the word is. And when that came true, and Jesus is just using the law to do what the law does, and that is show you that you are a sinner, show you that you need help. He comes to him and he says, this is what, this is what it is. You're a sinner before a holy God. And, and he's made it clear. So now we've got it. Okay, great. I, I, I'm alive. I get this. I, I am a sinner. I, I, but here's what happened with this man. The Bible tells us the next verse. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus showed him his problem, and he said, but that's okay. I'm not changing that. He responded by walking away from Jesus. So here's what Paul does. Paul has a similar experience. I'm a good guy. Got chalk, checks off all the boxes. I'm religious, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, yes, I do not, I do not, I do not, I do, I do, I do, and all that, he has everything, everything covered, and then suddenly God says, but you're a sinner, dude. 
Paul's world is shaken. It's upside down. Let me, hear you, let me let you hear what Paul says about himself to his friend Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, even though once I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, all those things he had even forgotten, but now once he's alive, he realizes, look what I am. He says, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and, and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That word abundantly is very similar to the word utterly sinful. So what he's saying is, I was utterly sinful. I was hyperbole sinful, but Jesus' grace was abundantly big. He was bigger than any of my sin, everything I've ever done. And I, when I came to him in my faith and I saw his love, his grace saved me. It changed me. So what he did was the response, God got him on his knees and said, Paul, you're a sinner. And Paul said, please forgive me. I need your grace. And God did. Young man in Matthew 19, sir, you're a sinner. And he said, and it's going to stay that way. And he walked away without coming to Jesus. I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? According to the law, we're all sinners. Now, we have a response. What do you do with that knowledge? If you're awakened to the fact that I'm a sinner and I'm lost, what do you do with that? You say, well, that's somebody else's fault, or you better stop judging me, or you know what, it's not that bad. Everybody does it. And we can walk away from Jesus? Or we can say, absolutely right, I am a sinner. I stand helpless and hopeless before a holy God. Please forgive me. That's our choice. How do you respond to that truth? The law is a heavy, heavy truth. But it's holy, it's righteous, it's good, it's the truth. It's how we respond to it that changes our destiny. Has there been a point in your life when you recognized your sinfulness before a holy God and humbly said, God, I don't deserve your grace, but I ask you to forgive me and to save me. Have you responded in that way? Now here's what happens in Paul's life. If you go back to Romans or 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 17, Paul says, after he realizes that and I came and his grace forgave me, he said, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When I recognized that I was a sinner and I came to Jesus and he forgave me, I broke out in a praise party because I didn't deserve it and yet God gave me life. So my question is, have you ever come to recognize your sinfulness and receive the gift of salvation? If you have, then I hope that today God has shown you that law condemned you, but Jesus' grace forgave you. We put that, if you'll put that screen one more time back up there, please. I want you to see the words. When the law of God condemns, the grace of God can cure. The law didn't create your sin. It can't cure your sin, but God's grace can cure whatever it is. His grace is abundant to forgive and to bring you life. So if you have received Christ as Savior, maybe it's just this morning God has just reminded you that as an eternal, immortal God, He has saved you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.